We have a, a local incentive pot of money that is supported by the taxpayer. They had to vote for it um, before my time, I think 2002, whenever we, we, we implemented this, this uh, word chest. And uh, it's a percentage of gross receipts that goes into it, and we're very, very happy to have it. And uh, it's, we put it to a lot of good use. Welcome to Economic Development Secrets, where we interview economic developers from across the country, from rural areas to metros, from small AD shops to large regional organizations, we'll hear first-hand accounts from economic developers in the trenches, from what works to what doesn't work, how to build local support, and how to get creative in order to push deals across the finish line. You'll hear everyone's economic development secrets. Welcome to Economic Development Secrets. This month's special guest is Michael Bent, Director of Economic Development at the Artesia New Mexico Chamber of Commerce. Michael discusses creating an incentive war chest in the importance of getting involved with other economic development organizations at the state and local level. Without further ado, here are Michael's economic development secrets. Hello, Michael. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Great. Will you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Michael Bunt, and I am the Economic Development Director in Artesia, New Mexico. I uh, was a banker before this and decided it would be interesting to be on the positive end of the deal instead of the negative end of the deal, and I've been doing it for about six years. Great. Have you always been in Artesia? No, ma'am. I moved to Artesia about 10 years ago, uh, again with a bank, and um uh, moved over to the Chamber of Commerce here in Artesia, it's Chamber and Economic Development combined, and uh, moved to the Chamber of Commerce again about six years ago, and um, you know, one of the better things I've done. Great. Well, will you tell us a little bit about your economic development partnership? I know um, in some states they're more um, apparent and more you see more of them, and in some states you definitely see far less um, of them. And I know I uh, started my economic development career out actually at a chamber in an economic development partnership. But will you tell the audience a little bit about the nuts and bolts of how you push deals across the finish line with the participation from all parties? No, sure. You know, generally when we have an economic development project, I have, I have a board that's separate from the chamber board. Um, that's there kind of specifically to use our economic development funds. So we have a, a war chest, if you will, that we can use to incentivize projects. And, um, you know, I take it to my board. I work closely with those guys. They're all good people. And then I take it to uh, the city council for their ultimate approval to use public funds. And uh, we put the PPA, uh, Project Participation Agreement, um, together with the city and the, the target company um, with kind of me acting as liaison in the middle. And I would say that's probably the basic structure of what we do to it. There's always nuance. Um, but in a nutshell, that's, that's kind of how we run our program, for sure. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Artesia, like the population, the major employers? Yeah, no. Um, Artesia is in southeast New Mexico, which, if you were to come and visit, kind of lends itself more to West Texas, perhaps, than what people traditionally think of New Mexico in the Santa Fe, Albuquerque area. Um, it's a small town. I mean, I, I call us a population of, of 20,000. If anybody's out there Googling that right now, it would come up less than that. Um, you know, but as we draw kind of a five-mile radius around the center of town and look at more of a market trade area, uh, 20,000 is a, is a good number. For our 
economic purposes, you know, oil and gas production is certainly our primary economic driver. Um, and we kind of get pigeonholed a little bit into kind of being a, a traditional oil and gas town, which I always argue that we are not because we have the largest refinery in New Mexico here. And oil production and oil refining um, are very different, economically speaking. And then we are home to a federal law enforcement training center, um, which has a similar economic impact as, say, a small Air Force base. We are the, the head training quarters for all Border Patrol agents in addition to another, you know, 87 different uh, federal law enforcement components or agencies that have a law enforcement component. And then we have a large amount of agriculture, including traditional farm and ranch, um, dairy, crops, etc. So I feel like our economic model stands on kind of a four-legged stool with oil production, oil refining, um, federal law enforcement, and agriculture. Has the decline in employment in the oil sector affected your community at all? Uh, certainly it has. I mean, I hate, to, I hate to sound alarmist about things because we haven't seen it as bad as, you know, the stories you hear coming out of the, the Dakotas and, you know, stuff like that. Um, our industry is really mature here. So, you know, obviously the decline isn't great, but um, we haven't seen a huge hit in unemployment rate. I mean, our unemployment rate four years ago, kind of during peak boom, uh, you know, hovered around the 3% range. And I think as it stands today, we're looking at 3.7, 3.8. So it's not this kind of cataclysmic thing that, that some people think. Um, certainly people are making less money. Certainly there have been some layoffs and that there have been some people lost their job. Um, but I would argue that the amount of people that have lost a job and weren't able to find one in a pretty reasonable amount of time are really small here in this area. Okay. Um, hopefully we're kind of on, I'm knocking on wood as we speak, but hopefully we're on kind of the way back up. I think we've seen a lot of increased activity just in the last four or five months that uh, lead me to believe that times will be better at this time next year than they are today. Great. Yeah, I've been seeing um, some articles out there um, from some of the uh, New Mexico state economists and um, different people in the legislature looking at redoing budgets and everything um, due to the lower revenue. So I was just wondering how it would affect, you know, Artesia. No, sure. You know, and I, I think I could make a case that it affects the state of New Mexico perhaps even more than it's affected Artesia. Um, you know, as the city and county run their budgets, you know, they kind of have their target price of oil that they're running at. Um, but they're more attuned, you know, to the oil field very locally than, than, than I would argue they are at the state, um, by and large. So the state receives a portion of revenue on the oil coming out of the ground. And um, that is impacted by the price of oil very specifically. So even if the same amount of oil is coming out of the ground, you know, theoretically we have the same amount of people working here to get that oil out of the ground. Uh, but if it's coming out at half the price, then that means fully half of that portion of the budget that the state is expecting. So certainly there is some wrangling um, at the state level and local and county level as well on just the price per barrel. Whenever we start talking unemployment, you know, it's a little bit of a different conversation. Mm -hmm. Right, of course. Um, okay, well then changing gears a little bit, um, could you tell us what some of the strengths are that you've seen um, within your community, within your own organization, 
some almost economic development tips that you could tell people? You know, I don't know about tips, but one of the things that we do that that say differs from a traditional economic development model is uh, we really try to kind of build community as well. I mean, even today with a pretty low unemployment rate, I think one of the challenges for small towns in New Mexico, and I would probably argue for small towns all over, is just attracting uh, the necessary labor force to run your economy. And I, here in Artesia, we spend a lot of time on housing and retail and amenities and those types of things that aren't, you know, your traditional base economic employers, um, but that I argue, you know, as you're trying to expand a hospital and expand the school system and bring labor to town are very, very important whenever people are, you know, looking at where they want to live and where they want to raise family and, and be a part of that community. Um, I think it's really hard to overstate the importance of having those amenities in your town and making sure your town is um, as desirable as possible to any potential labor participants. So the housing thing, you know, during boom times was, was at a, uh, just a, just a peak need. And while that slowed off at least a little, it's still really hard to get a house in this town because the industries are still creating jobs at a pretty high rate, not as high as two or three or four years ago. Um, but at a pretty high rate, and we want to make it as easy for people to move to town, to like the town, to get uh, involved in the town as we can, and we think that's necessary, uh, especially in a small town. So for a tip, if you will, um, it, is my, it is my contention that a lot of small town economic developers' time would be really well spent working on this stuff that traditionally they don't, the retail, the amenities, the housing, et cetera. Great. Um, does that fall more under a business retention and expansion role, or does everyone in your organization kind of do everything, you know, someone does recruitment and BRE, or how does that work? How's the breakdown? You know, kind of functionally, we all work together pretty well. It's a small office. You know, we have five or six people here. Uh, the chamber director and myself work really closely, and she certainly does a lot of the amenities type of thing, as do I. When it comes to recruitment, say traditional kind of business recruitment, um, while I probably do the bulk of that, um, certainly everybody here at, here at our Chamber of Commerce works on that as well. Um, so as far as kind of delineating who does who and what does what, we're small enough where we don't have to have you know, really firm, uh, say, job descriptions, or there's no kind of territorial issues as far as, oh, I'm, I'm the business development guy, and I'm the chamber guy, and I'm, you know, whatever other departments would exist. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have a really group, good group of people, uh, and we all kind of work together, you know, just depending on what is happening that day, that week, that month, um, and who, who stands the best chance of, of getting a deal. I mean, there are certainly deals that uh, the chamber director, Haley Klein, um, is going to do better at. She's more passionate on certain issues than, say, I am, and the contrary exists. So I would like to think we ham and egg it, for lack of a better word, pretty well. Okay, great. Well, then let's talk about recruitment for a little bit. First couple of questions for you are, where do the majority of the companies that move to Artesia, where do they move from? And also, what's the sector um, majority? You know, there, there would be two different answers to that. One would be kind of on the retail amenity side, and one would be more on the base economic side. Um, if I were to answer kind of the base economic tract of that question, 
the vast majority of the deals that we do from a base economic perspective come in the energy sector. I mean, it's oil and gas related, it's refining related. There is some, you know, kind of manufacturing machine shop type of stuff, but ultimately the driver for those are the oil and gas and refining industry by and large. Um, you know, we've we've started getting out there and trying to be more active in recruiting some diversifiers. You know, so one of our one of our initiatives is kind of the guns and ammunition industry. Um, so we spend a lot of time on that. We've had some successes on it, but um, you know, certainly oil and gas is the driver and refining for our base economic employment. And as far as saying where they come from, I mean, Texas would be people expanding into our area from Texas, from Louisiana, from the Dakotas, even some from Canada that, that we're talking to. Um, but it's all it's all affiliated in that industry. So we're not we're not pulling in, you know, tech jobs from Silicon Valley or Phoenix or Denver for that matter. Um, on the base economic side of things, it's more it's more traditional oil and gas related employment. On the amenities side of things, you know, retail, housing, etc. I would have a really hard time telling you where they're coming from. I mean, we've had folks from within our state. We've had some folks from out of our state, and I, you know, I, I can't say there's a whole lot of rhyme or reason or or necessarily geographical targeting to those folks. Uh, but we do spend a lot of time getting out there, getting to the conferences, getting to the trade shows, kind of marketing our area, and um, you know, whoever who ends up biting on our hook is who we deal with. Great. So is that where you mostly get leads from then, um, the conferences, the marketing? When it comes to the amenity side of things, um, certainly yes. On the retail, amenities, housing, I mean, getting out there, getting to some of the conferences, getting the trade shows. Uh, we just signed a deal with some retail consultants that, that do a lot of that for us and have been a really good relationship. Um, that has certainly been the driver of those of those types of issues when we talk retail and amenities. On the base economic side of things, it's more responding to the industry. I mean, I, I while I do go to an oil and gas type trade show or two, um, largely those folks even know more about my area than I do whenever it comes to that particular industry. And whenever I go and introduce myself, it's not this completely cold pitch where you say, hi, I'm Michael Bunn from Artesia, New Mexico, and somebody says, where? Where is that again? Tell me more. Um, it, within that industry, whenever I talk about Permian Basin, Artesian, New Mexico, uh, those guys seem to know pretty acutely what I'm talking about and what kind of plays are here, what kind of business opportunities are here. So it's a matter of just with that industry kind of working working its way through, finding the sites, you know, finding the buildings, and uh, making, a, making a business case as to why they should be here, even though most of them probably already know. Okay. I would say that on the recruiting end of things, you know, the thing that we do them on the base economic recruiting side of things, um, you know, just having available land, available buildings, working on our industrial park, you know, that's a plug and play type of deal, and marketing those opportunities for a reasonably painless way to come to our town and start business is more important than trying to sell that company on our area because, like I say, they already generally know about it. What they don't know are the assets that are on the ground and how they can tap into it um, and how easy it is to actually come to Ortiz and do business. So I think having that conversation is is more valuable than it is with the retailers where you're just 
cold introducing yourself to these people, saying, here's my community, here's its location, here's its population, here's the household incomes, et cetera. Um, with, the, with the industry guys, it's more about how quickly can I get in business, how easy to do business, do you have available real estate, do you have available buildings, and uh, working through that process. Great. When you work on projects, how long does it usually take from, I know it always varies, but um, how long is usually from the first conversation to them, you know, opening their doors for the first time? I, um, I have absolutely no answer to that. I mean, we've done a project in four months. would probably be the quickest from initial conversation to actually having an asset on the ground. Um, four months, I feel, is pretty darn quick. The opposite end of that spectrum would be like three and a half years of reasonably constant work towards, towards uh, getting an employer moved to town. So if I were to say an average, I mean, at that point, it's just math. You know, I mean, my median would be the difference between three and a half years and four months. And, uh, you know, the average is probably somewhere in the year range, year to 15-month range uh, between the initial conversation and having an asset on the ground. But that is just happenstance. You know what I mean? It's like three projects I'm working on right now. Mm -hmm. I would say the average timing on it is two years. So who knows? The next deal may go quick, and it'll mess my whole average up. I am fortunate enough to work in a community and, you know, work with the city, work with the chamber where I think we realize that these things don't come easily or quickly by and large and everyone kind of has their head wrapped around that. So it's it's nice to deal with those types of folks whereas some of my colleagues that I hear from, you know, it's this constant where are they at, where are they at, where are they at, where are they at and where anybody that works in the profession knows that these things just take time. Definitely. Well, and then I know one of the hottest topics of economic development is um, incentives. Could you tell us a little bit about the kind of incentives that you offer and um, maybe tell us about a breakdown of a deal? Sure, no. What, um, so we have, we have a, a local incentive pot of money that is supported by the taxpayer. They had to vote for it um, before my time, I think 2002, whenever we, we, we implemented this, this uh, war chest to come into existence. And uh, it's a percentage of gross receipts that goes into it, and we're very, very happy to have it. And um, it's we've put it to a lot of good use. You know, it's so deal-specific as to what we do and what we don't do. But, you know, we try to cap it out. I hate to say cap, right? That, that makes it sound too, too hard and fast, and nothing is hard and fast. Um, you know, but 10% of project cost, you know, maybe we can screech out there to 15% of total project cost to to try to incentivize them to come to our town, certainly, but also to overcome any sort of cost associated with, you know, moving to the area, relocating employees. While we can't contribute money specifically for the relocation of employees, it is our hope that by offsetting the cost of, you know, uh, building, land development, utility development, et cetera, that we could, that we could make it be a uh, kind of a net wash anyway with the expense of, of moving employees to our town. So on, on our end of things, there's, there's that pot of money that is an Artesia pot of money that we can use through uh, my board and city council. Additionally, New Mexico um, has done a really good job over the last couple of years of beefing up their uh, incentive pot of money. You know, and as of this fiscal year, you know, I think, I think the, uh, the budget was $50 million that the state has for money. Um, and they're looking at some larger projects, smaller projects, rural, urban, 
kind of the whole thing. I think we have a pretty active statewide economic development department, and they've always been been pretty helpful. Um, the most recent project that we used both pots of money on was last year, and uh, you know I think the city of Artesian ended up kicking in about three hundred thousand dollars. The state ended up kicking about a quarter million dollars. Um, and in return, I mean, there are certainly clawbacks and there are objectives and goals that have to be obtained with that. And if they aren't obtained, um, you know, then we, then we get into this clawback language. But the partnership has worked really well and it's able for both the state and the city of Artesia to leverage its money uh, to make deals happen. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of paperwork, a lot of lawyering. Um, but I would think by and large, it's reasonably, it's reasonably painless. You know, there's not, no one has to go put a lawyer on retainer specifically to do business with Artesia, the state of New Mexico. It's just putting the contracts in place, putting the clawbacks in place, making sure the deal is as good as it can be, and uh, uh, giving everybody every opportunity for success. I don't know if that answered your question, to be honest. It did. It did. <laughs> um, do you have any performance requirements? Depending on the deal, we certainly do. Um, you know, one of the deals we did, they have to hire X amount of people within X amount of time. So uh, I can't, I don't remember the exact timeline, but within five years, it is expected that this many people will be employed in this shop at an average wage of X. And if those aren't fulfilled, then all of a sudden the clawback conversation starts coming into play. So it's something that we take pretty seriously. Um, you know, making sure this is taxpayer money we're dealing with, and we try to be really good stewards of that. Um, so making sure there's no boondoggle is half of the battle, I think. Um, but once you've kind of wrapped your arms around the deal, you've gotten comfortable with everybody, and you're willing to take it to that next step, which is going to the board, going to the city, going to state, as far as funding, uh, I, most of those questions have been answered. You know, there's been a pretty significant marketing analysis as far as, uh, you know, what the market for whatever wares they're building are. Are there any pre-existing contracts? Um, making sure the expectation for success is really high, or as high as possible. Great. Um, is there a project that you would feel comfortable sharing just the details about um, with the audience and share, you know, the business name and a little bit of what happened with it? You know, there's there's uh, one that was one of the guns and ammo projects that we did, firearms and ammunition projects, and it was a startup startup company called CGS Group, and um, I think we ended up actually inking that deal last May, April or May or something like that, and um, you know, pretty good, completely from the ground up. Um, they're doing both firearms and then other accoutrements like suppressors and um, some more specialized type of equipment out of there. You know, they've got their own machine shop. They've got their own machinists employed now. I think they've got a pretty decent marketing um, effort underway, and I'm really impressed at what they've done in the last year and a half. Um, I look for it to be a growing business. And that was, that was one of the deals that the state has come in and partnered on, as well as the city of Artesia, towards some financial, financial incentive to get going in Artesia, as opposed to get going somewhere else. Um, and so far, I mean, we're a year and a half in, but um, I think they've done. I think they've done really well, and I think they are about 80% of the way to making kind of their metrics as far as employment, average wage per job, some of the other things that would that would mathematically give the city of Artesia and the state a payback on that money in a reasonable amount of time. 
Um, certainly, there's more specifics in that going. You know, we could we could talk about that one particular deal for three hours, but just <laughs> as a as an overarching summary of the deal, that's that's the one that comes to mind. Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you. When you're working on a deal. Uh, is there a certain payback period that you try to stay within? You know, we do not have a guideline as far as it, this deal must pay back in three years or this deal must pay back in ten years. Um, we don't have that language in our documents right now. And I think what happens is they rely on uh, myself and, and the chamber director as well as our economic development board to weigh the, weigh the risks, weigh where they are in their business plan, whether it's just pure startup or if it's somebody moving to town, and it's just a cost-benefit analysis at that standpoint, right? So mm -hmm. how much money are we kicking into this thing? What is our anticipated payback? Uh, we really prefer it not to be more than 10 years, and, and you know, if it's going past 10 years before the taxpayer gets a, a payback on that, I would, I, I would argue it may not be a deal that should be done. Um, you know, but by and large, if I were just kind of off the cuffing it, I'd say three to five years is really where we're trying to, to show a payback. But there's more ways, you know, once you start getting into economic impact, depending on are you looking strictly at a gross receipts payback or the economic impact plus the labor plus any other benefits that could come out of this and trying to sum that up and quantify it as much as possible and then put the different numbers forward to the groups and the councils that have to approve it and then have the discussion. Um, I hate to see I hate to see people whenever they get really kind of locked into this deal must pay back in 37 months, right? It's like, well, that feels a little arbitrary to me. If it was going to pay back in say 60 months, but your benefit is higher, I would argue that that's that that's still a really good deal. You know, if if a deal can't pay back in two years or three years or four years, um, you just have to look at the cost benefit, and I just don't know a better way to say that. That's perfect. Thank you. Um, and then I have a few wrap-up questions for you. Um, sure. The first one is, what advice do you have for a young economic developer who is relatively early in his or her career? You know, I would say um, don't get too wrapped up in, um, in what could consider to be the industry norm or the industry standard. You know, the, the younger economic developers um, I see getting really wrapped up in kind of the base economic job situation. It's touting paybacks. It's touting, you know, the, the dollar cost average of the taxpayer's money and, you know, putting these deals together in a very um, kind of methodical, solid, unbending way. Kind of like a banker, right? So, you know, these bankers, man, it's just up or down, yes or no, kind of black or white to a large degree. It either meets policy or it doesn't meet policy. And, um, I would, uh, I would argue that too many people get too wrapped up in that, and I would say allow yourself some flexibility to be fluid with what you're doing. And, uh, you know, pay attention to what isn't being done as far as, you know, everybody out there is in the base economic game. They all want the high-end manufacturing, you know, aerospace, machine shops, all that type of stuff, and that's great, and I certainly support all of it. Um, but sometimes... You know, sometimes it may be a grocery store in your town, right? Or it may be a hotel, or it may be a restaurant, or it may be doing a deal on some public amenities like a park or a, you know, insert a swimming pool or a water park or something like that. And I would say that the challenge for economic developers is just doing what's necessary to improve their town. 
um, both from an economic standpoint but also from an aesthetic standpoint and the aesthetic standpoint will pay off economically I'm very I'm very uh, confident are there any economic development resources that you would recommend to the audience you know there's there is a lot of stuff out there and um, I try to stay really really involved at a state level I mean I sit on you know, the various boards and organizations and think tanks and this, that, and the other, and try to participate as much as possible. From the, um, from the national level, the IEDC, the CECD certification, I just haven't gotten plugged in as much. And part of it for me is because we do focus a lot of our time on the retail, the amenities, et cetera, housing, that um, what I have found is the IEDCs of the world and the CECD certifications aren't real applicable to. Um, so here within New Mexico, I feel like it's a little more local. You know, we're a, we're a small population in a really big state. And um, getting involved at the state and local level, for me, has had precedence over trying to do kind of the, the more national level um, economic development functions and certifications, et cetera. Now, I constantly have this conversation with myself about doing a CECD deal. And, um, you know, perhaps one of these days, but as it sounds right now, I, I feel like I'm really busy doing what I'm doing today. Mm -hmm. And to, uh, to take time away from, from what I would argue would be my, my job to go do CEDC, I just haven't found the time to do that yet. Very interesting. Yeah, I know a lot of people really debate whether they should get certified or not. And um, I mean, there's a very small percentage, actually, of economic developers that are certified and so I'd be interested to hear why, you know, everyone, you know, decides to or not to um, pursue it. But it's so interesting because it's not like, you know, taking the bar exam or becoming a CPA where, you know, you don't need the certification to practice in the field. And then, of course, there's a, a low pass rate. It's like I think 30 percent um, is the pass rate for the test. <laughs> Yeah, you'll notice I didn't mention scared of failure, right? Oh. <laughs> I'm not advertising scared of failure when I say why I'm not a CECD. Right, definitely. I am starting a new blog and podcast series actually starting next month all about, you know, the economic development certification process. So we'll have to get you back to uh, talk more about that. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to it, honestly. And as a... Um, as you go through the blog and go through the process, I'm, I'm very, very interested in, in your thoughts on the situation. Well, I saved the hardest question for last. Very good. It is, um, what is your favorite hobby? My favorite hobby? I have a eight-year-old son. Excuse me, a 10-year-old son and a seven-year-old daughter. I lost my mind there for a minute. <laughs> and, like, I don't even know what hobbies are anymore. I'm like, hobbies? What is that? I mean, like, <laughs> we're in kids' soccer. That's... That's my hobby. Uh, if I was forced to pick something, I would say that I used to be a pretty avid golfer. And um, it seemed like it was easier to be an avid golfer in the banking days than the economic development days. And uh, for, all my, for all my banker friends, they can take that as an insult if they wish. <laughs> and buy it. Um, so not a lot, not a lot. Working kids, man. That's it. That's it. And it depends on what day you catch me as to how great I think they are. <laughs> Um, I do want to I, I do want to kind of give a shout out to uh, to you and Impact Data Source. I I made reference to um, the economic impact data as far as you know 
analyzing these jobs from a from a from a cost benefit standpoint, and I think it would be very very difficult to do without without what you guys have done for me and the software that you've provided. So I'm I'm actually quite grateful, and it's really helps whenever it comes time to you know renew contracts, make sure everybody's happy to be able to say as a result of these deals that we have done, here is a hard and fast, for lack of a better term, economic um, impact as it pertains. And then take the sum of them and all of a sudden it's it's way better instead of just kind of guessing, well, we did this deal and it's about this many people and we think the economic impact may be somewhere around this. It's, uh, it's good to have really definitive quantifiable information as you're analyzing projects to figure out, you know, how much incentive is necessary or warranted or at all. Um, but also it's good whenever you're dealing with your board, you're dealing with your city councils, your county commissions, all the other um, interested parties in what you do. I think it's really, really good backing and I would encourage people to, to use it. I know that sounded like a shill and I promise we didn't set that up. <laughs> True, I was about to say, no, it's, it's totally right, I promise. But it has been very important to me, honestly it has. Great. Well, thank you so much for that. We love getting feedback from our clients. Um, and we're always interested in how you use the software because, you know, as similar as, you know, the models get with different features, um, people, every different economic organization uses it differently. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you are just a wealth of knowledge. And I know I learned a lot from what you had to say. And I know that all of our listeners will as well. So thank you very, very much. Well, thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for listening to Economic Development Secrets. Don't miss next month's episode featuring Greg O'Sullivan from Klamath, Oregon. Economic Development Secrets is brought to you by Impact Dashboard, the only impact software built for economic developers.